Hi guys, welcome back to Vox Tablet, the weekly podcast of Tablet Magazine. I'm Julie Subrin. Today, the search for an ancient blue. If you've ever seen or worn a tallit before, the Jewish prayer shawl, you know that they've got these little knotted fringes at the corners. These fringes, tzitzit, are usually white. But in the Torah, it says that one string of the tzitzit should actually be dyed blue. So why don't we see more blue strings on tzitzit? After all, it's one of the commandments right there with resting on the Sabbath and not eating pork, and it seems like a pretty easy one to fulfill. Well, in fact, it's an extraordinarily difficult commandment to fulfill, and one which various Jews over the centuries have lost a lot of sleep over. That's because they believe that the kind of blue dye used on tzitzit must be the same as the dye that was used in ancient times, and the source of that blue, referred to in the Bible as tehillit, has been shrouded in mystery for over a thousand years. Now, thanks to the efforts of a motley crew of rabbis, chemists, and archaeologists from around the world, it appears that mystery has been solved. We sent Zach Rosen to the Mediterranean coast of Israel to find out why it took so long. Observant Jews go to great lengths to live within Jewish law. On Shabbat, the day of rest, some don't use pen or pencil. Some don't wear leather on Yom Kippur. Baruch Sturman adds another, more obscure practice to his observance, snorkeling. When we first started this, my wife was pregnant. I used to come home smelling of dead fish, broken, fermenting snails. I'd walk into the house and she would throw up. How sweet. (laughs) Sturman doesn't snorkel just to commune with nature. He does it because on the seafloor, there's a very particular kind of snail. It's a snail that he and increasingly many others believe was used in ancient times to fulfill one of the Torah's key commandments. In the Torah, it's written that God said to Moses, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them that they shall make for themselves tzitzit on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and they shall place upon the tzitzit of each corner a thread of tchelet, and you shall see it and remember all the commandments of God, and you shall do them. Tchelet is a beautiful commandment. It's one of the few commandments that God gave us that's, that basically makes a connection between us and him. He says, wear these, this color and you'll be reminded of me. On a recent bright and sunny afternoon, Sturman invited me on a family field trip to snorkel for tchelet snails. Hi. How are you? How you doing? He and his wife Judy are originally from New Jersey. Springsteen country. But they live in Israel now and they've raised their kids here. Yeah, it's beautiful out here. We're driving to Dor, a town on the Mediterranean coast of Israel. We pull into a gravel parking lot and head for the beach. Under a wooden cabana, we can see four people waiting for us. And that lovely, lovely woman is my wife. And then there are the three kids. Metal, Gilad, and everyone. It seems like what camping or board games are to some families, Tchelet is to the Sturmans, but like times 10. It's become a passion and an obsession, if you will, in our entire family. Our son knows how to do the dyeing, and our older sons do a lot of the tying of the tzitzit strings for people. It's really become a major, major part of our lives over the past 25 years. To understand tchelet and its significance, we need to travel back to ancient times, to a time when fashion was boring, when people just wore muted colors, browns and beiges. It was possible to extract color from leaves or flowers, but they would only stain fabrics temporarily not dye them permanently. 
That all changed when ancient dyers figured out how to turn secretions from snail glands into a gorgeous sky blue called tchelet. It was discovered on Crete by the Minoan civilization, probably around uh, 1750 BC. is probably the earliest time that shellfish dyeing was, uh, was done. Before long, tchelet was worth 20 times its weight in gold. So these were precious articles, gifts that were given from one king to another king. And it spread all over the Mediterranean region. Then when Jews and monotheism came to the world, they took these very precious and very beautiful commodities and sanctified them in the service of God. The temple was adorned with tchelet in the robes of the high priest who served God in the temple. His robes were made uh, with tchelet. And then the average Jew would put it on their clothes, on their tzitzit, as a reminder uh, of their duty to serve God. So it wasn't a fashion statement at all. It was, uh, it was a religious statement. Soon enough, wearing a thread of tchelet on the corner of your tzitzit was the norm. And every time the Jew would look down on his uh, string of tchelet and he would see this, uh, this beautiful uh, sky blue, it would remind him, hopefully it would remind him that he's got a higher calling, a higher purpose. Eventually, the dyeing industry became so profitable that it came under imperial control. And that was the beginning of the end. It became difficult to obtain and expensive to obtain and became extremely dangerous to wear it. Uh, there were edicts that were leveled against anybody who was dealing in trelet. So we're talking about wearing blue and purple, even owning blue and purple fabrics and, 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 and garments was uh, uh, an offense punishable by death. So even though trelet was still around, it became extremely dangerous to be seen wearing it, buying it, or selling it. So the Talmud says, you know what, at least wear tzitzit. Better to wear white than nothing. And it's, uh, and it's understandable if you do your best and you can't find tchelet, then that's okay. The final blow to tchelet came in the 7th century. This was after the Arab conquest of the Mediterranean coast, when all remnants of Roman rule were destroyed, including the dye houses. And for 1,300 years, 1,300 years, tchelet and the mysteries of the chemical compounds of the blue dye disappeared. Okay, what we're looking for, the trailer snail. Sturman and his two youngest sons and I are walking into the Mediterranean Sea, about to dive under. Okay, we're looking for the ones. When you open them up, when you turn them over, you'll see that they have that kind of brown, hard fingernail shell that, that closes as soon as you open, as soon as you, uh, you look at them. All we need is one or two. We're going to see if we can break them open and, uh, and do some dying. All right? Whoa! That might be a good time for me to go put the recorder away. Today, Sturman and his sons pretty much know what they're looking for. But for hundreds of years, religious Jews in search of Tchelet didn't really have a clue where it originally came from. Actually, that's not entirely true. They had little bits and pieces to go on. Well, in, in the Talmud, there's a few things that we know about Tchelet. It came from a chilazon. Which is a kind of sea creature. The chilazon is, is found from between Tzor and Haifa, so it was in the northern... Israeli coast. We know that it was Nartiko Gadelimo. It had a shell that that, uh, that grew with it. Now, it also says Chilazon Domeliam. It was similar to the sea or the seabed. And we explain that at least as meaning it looks exactly like the seabed, perfectly camouflaged. So that's pretty much all they knew. And for a while there, it seemed that uncovering the source of the biblical blue dye was going to be impossible. But then, in the mid-1800s, a French zoologist by the name of Henri Lacaze-Dutier discovered by accident 
three snails in the Mediterranean which could give a dye. One of which was a snail called the Murex trunculus. The idea then became that Tchelet, the blue-purple, was what was obtained from the Murex trunculus. That was the belief of the archaeologists, of the historians, of the chemists of those days, and of anybody who actually had given it any thought. But secular research at that time would have been unknown in the small religious communities of Eastern Europe. So around the same time as the zoologist's discovery of the Murex snails, a rabbi from Poland started looking into the matter himself. With the um, stirring to come back to Israel and Zionism starting to take shape, to religious Zionists, the goal of coming back to the land of Israel was to reestablish the ancient religious practices, among them rebuilding the temple. And you can rebuild the temple all you want, but in order to do the service in the temple, there has to be the special garments that the priests wore, especially the Kohen Gadol, the high priest. And those garments are made predominantly of trelet. So the question arose, what good is it to come back to Israel and build your temple if you don't have the, the priestly garments and you can't have them without trelet? So this rabbi? The great Rav Gershon Henech Leiner, the Radziner Rebbe. He traveled all the way from Poland to an aquarium in Naples. I guess he would have gone by carriage. To try to figure out where Tchelet came from and how to start making it again. So the rabbi gets to Naples and heads for the aquarium. Which was the first aquarium in the world open to the general public. And he spends a year there. He became convinced that it was a cuttlefish, kind of squid-like, very funny little fish, that was the source of the Tchelet. And that's what he had, and he found it, and he went back to Radzin, absolutely triumphant, set up a dye factory, and within a year, tens of thousands of his followers were wearing cuttlefish trelet, the Radziner, Radziner trelet. But the cuttlefish trelet faded over time. It could be washed out with soap, whereas authentic trelet is supposed to be steadfast. So eventually, the cuttlefish trelet theory was disproved. And to this day, people still wear that. There are some Radziner Hasidim that wear Tchelet, and every once in a while I'll see a string of that Tchelet hanging from somebody's talit. How would you know? Just by looking at it, you can tell that it's a little bit sharper. It's a, a more vivid color. It's not the muted color of the sky. Next in line comes another rabbi, Isaac Herzog, who went on to become the chief rabbi of Israel. In 1913, Herzog actually did his Ph.D. on the subject of Tchelet and devoted years of his life to the investigation of its source. During the time of his research, scientists and archaeologists continued to agree that it came from the Murex trunculus snail. But one thing prevented Herzog from agreeing with them. In the Talmud, Tchelet is described as sky blue, but the color of the Murex dye that Herzog saw was more of a purple. So as a religious Jew, he basically said, If I can't get it to dye blue, then all of the archaeology and all of the chemistry in the world won't prove anything to me. By the time he died in 1959, he still wasn't convinced by the claims that Tchelet comes from the Murex snail. We believe it's the exact color of the sky, himmel blue, he kept saying. It's got to be the color of the sky. So by the late 1950s, still no Tchelet. At least not one that the religious community could get behind. Finally, in the mid-1980s, two secular Israeli scientists picked up the research again, Elsner and Spanier. They also thought it was the Murex trunculus, but they still hadn't figured out how to make a perfect sky blue dye from it. And then, a breakthrough. What Elsner found is a, by completely by accident is that when he did his dyeing, which he was forced to do close to a window because of the smell. You know, that gross, fishy smell. So when he did his dyeing, on 
cloudy days, he of course got the result that he was expecting and that everybody in the world had gotten up until then, which was a violet color. When he did his dyeing on sunny days, he realized and he got this, he was shocked to see that he got a perfect sky blue color. So the missing link was exposure to the sun. Since Elsner's accidental breakthrough, it's taken time for the religious community to take notice. Sturman says he still encounters rabbis who don't accept the murex trunculus as the authentic biblical blue dye. The only evidence that is acceptable is if, the, if it comes from a traditional book that's been on the libraries in the base medrash in the study hall for, you know, uh, hundreds of years. If you can find those, that'll be, then, I'll, then I'll talk to you about them. So this is frustrating to me because we're talking about something which is true or not true. So as a scientist and an Orthodox Jew, Sturman is doing whatever he can to spread the word about Tchelet. He and a few friends started an organization that makes and sells Tchelet to the general public. Oh, by the way, it takes about 60 to 100 snails to make one set of Tchelet. And we, we produce uh, maybe a thousand or so sets a month. The organization also leads coastal tours to demonstrate how to make the dye. But in Israel, it's actually illegal to take large quantities of shellfish from the Mediterranean. So they import the dye from Croatia. There's this other group, the Tchelet Foundation, who are trying to raise money to grow the snails in captivity in Israel. Meanwhile, my own search for Tchelet isn't going very well. Like the Talmud alludes to, the Murex snails do resemble the seabed, so much so that I don't see any. But Sturman's a pro, and after about 20 minutes of snorkeling, he's collected three in the pocket of his bathing suit. Now, it's time to extract the dye from the snail. So we're gonna break the snail open, the shell, squeeze the soft-bodied snail kind of through the opening that we'll make in the shell, and look and see if we can find the yellow gland called a hypobranchial gland, and that's where the dye is stored. All right, there you got your snail. Still squirming around. So we take the gland out of the shell, mash it, and heat it up on a hot plate. Then, with help from Sturman's son, we pour the stuff into a beaker. Sweetie pie, be very careful with this. If you're gonna use this chemical stuff, then you can't eat afterwards. You have to wash your hands first, because this is very, very, very bad, nasty poison. We pour a little caustic soda into the beaker. It's the kind of stuff that you put in your drain when it's clogged. Then another chemical. Sodium dithionite, which is a reducing agent. At this point, the solution is this ugly yellowish green. Think Dirty Mountain Dew. Finally, we drop some wool into the solution. Leave it in for a couple of minutes, leave it in the sun. On oxidation, it turns, the wool turns from this yellow green into, uh, into a beautiful sky blue. Now we have trailet wool. It's true, and it's as blue as the sky is on this clear, sunny afternoon. I would say that there are well over 200,000 people that are wearing our trelet nowadays. And I think that you can find trelet pretty much, certainly in Israel, all over the place. I would say it's hard to find a community where there aren't one or two people wearing trelet. In America, it's still not as popular. And it's not just Jews that have been captivated by the dye. A biologist in Australia is trying to apply lessons from the murex snail toward cancer research. And there's an artist in France who presses murex glands onto linen. After our day at the beach, I asked Sturman what it is that's made him devote so much of his life to Tchelet. From a religious perspective, this is such an important, such an important endeavor. It's one of God's laws, and it's one of God's laws that was lost. It's the only one of God's laws that had been lost that has at least now the potential to be restored. 
even if you're not someone who follows Jewish law, there is something remarkable about this project. Sturman and his colleagues' work comes at the end of literally thousands of years of Jewish and scientific inquiry. This is just amazing how when you dig deeply into a topic, there is an infinite amount of things to learn and things to be, uh, to be uncovered and things that are still not known. And even in this, you know, maybe the lowly snail has taught us how, how much of the world is buried, how much science is buried in, these, in, in, in every little tiny little thing. For Vox Tablet, I'm Zach Rosen. Zach Rosen is an independent radio producer based in Detroit. He took some photos during his diving expedition with Baruch Sturman, and you'll find them on our website, tabletmag.com. There, you'll also find information about Sturman's book on Tehillit, which is called The Rarest Blue. We would love to hear what you thought of today's podcast, so please send us an email at podcast at tabletmag.com or post a comment on the site. Today's podcast was produced by Zach Rosen with help from Daniel Estrin and from me. I'm Julie Subrin. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you'll join us again next week.